Hey, what's going on with y'all? It's your boy Tony Dorillis. Back here with another podcast. Uh, if this is your first time coming, I appreciate the support. If you are a returning, uh, returning person listening on my podcast, I appreciate that too. Um, happy New Year to y'all, man. It's lit. Y'all already know the vibes. And uh, I'm back here with a pretty, pretty heavy topic. And we're going to get into it. So I have a really special guest. Needs no introductions. Her name is Ayana Chung. And uh, Ayana, how's it going? It's going well. How's everyone? <laughs> oh, they can't respond. I hope everyone's well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we got a pretty big topic today. And it's pretty much dealing with um, just the color divide between colored people and uh, just various stereotypes that occur in the black community. So... Ayana, you want to take it away? I know you're pretty uh, amped up about this. Yes. Well, if I could just shed a little light into my ethnicity and background. Well, basically, as you heard, my name is Ayana Chung. (laughs) So right there, you know, I have um, my father's side. They're from Guyana. Um, But my my paternal grandfather is Chinese. So his family relocated to South American Guyana. So that's why I'm Ayana Chung. Um, on my mom's side, they are from what I consider like the deep south. So they're from North Carolina. And we have other things going on. Like I have um, Cherokee and some Caucasian. So, you know, growing up was very interesting because I have this fusion of cultures within me but um one thing that really kind of disturbed me was the fact that everything that i did that was positive um certain people in my family on the mom's side they would basically say that it was the mixed side of me that was responsible for instilling these good values in me like the fact that i was like passionate about education I was always on the honor roll um, spelling bees things like that they said that oh well of course it's because you're mixed with Chinese and then they went as far as to say it's also because I'm light-skinned and I'm mixed Um, that really disturbed me because it's like why does everything positive associated with whiteness or straying away from being black I also had someone tell me that um, the reason why I was getting straight A's was because I had a Chinese last name, which meant that I was Chinese. And don't worry, it's because you're not black. So never aspire to be black because the fact that you're partially black um, is associated with negativity. But the way you were able to survive and succeed in life is we you owe it to your mixed your mixed side so I, I just don't like the fact that there is this preconceived notion that blackness is a blackness is defined by negativity like there's like this this perception of like blackness as being tough being violent um, being a part of gangs and you know fighting a lot of violence being combative and then it's like 
the fact that I was articulate and I read encyclopedias and dictionaries and I would study on summer vacations, that was seen as being soft, you know, being an Oreo. Um, I never liked Ooh, that I term. I used to hate that word. Oreo, I guess, you know, black on the outside, white on the inside. Someone told me I was a, a kind of like a banana because I was yellow. Yellow was supposed to be Asian on the outside, but I was white on the inside. I was told a lot of things that just made me feel like my blackness was being challenged. So there was a time in my life where I started to say, you know, I got to prove that I'm down. So it was like the way I could prove that I was down was by giving in to the negative misconceptions associated with um blackness so that's when I was trying to like tote weapons and it wasn't me it wasn't me at all it was like I was trying to prove that I was black and it just was it was terrible because I don't feel today that it's a one-size-fits-all for blackness at all I definitely don't feel like someone has to be an active gang member like it's all these generalizations that really sickens me to be honest it's like why you're talking white? You're talking white, and you know it's like this double consciousness that um, it's quote. Sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. That W. E. B. Du um, Du Bois or Du Bois was talking about the double consciousness. I definitely wrote a paper focused on that because it's like some people are stagnant because it's like. They feel that they have to fit in with the stereotypes associated with blackness. And if they aspire to be someone or think outside the box, they're seen as a coon and all these other things, seen as betraying their race. But right now in my life, I don't feel like I have to live up to anything that tells anything that anyone tells me to live up to. I'm black and that's definitely what I identify as. Thanks for sharing. Um, there's a lot to unpack in that too. Um, I think one thing that stood out to me, actually, there's a lot of things, but uh, one specifically was like the talking white aspect. Right. And just like I know for me, definitely as a black guy, um, I was in uh, I wasn't I don't know. I never really. So I, I was I was actually in the projects. I was in Morsi projects living with my mom and my stepfather. And I just didn't pick up the slang there. So. Uh, when I came into school, everyone's like, you talk white, what's wrong with you? And I just remember feeling like, what's wrong with the way I speak? Is it like, is it so bad to enunciate my words and to sp uh, speak proper? And then like a lot of people would say that I was a teacher's pet or that um, you're trying to show off and uh, you're trying to be a good boy or whatever the hell it is. And it was just so annoying to me. And I think the, the thing that really got to me as well was that um, I noticed even a lot of times in, in uh, the younger folks, they just, uh, God, I sound like such an old guy. <laughs> um, but I noticed like a lot of them just like mutter their words almost just like rappers. It's like, yeah, how's it going? I'm, you know, and it's just like this very incoherent way of, t of speaking and I think they're so, uh, it's so socially conditioned to want to mutter your words because it sounds cool. I even remember one time I was uh, reading at 
uh, McDonald's uh, little spot. And I was reading a Frederick Douglass documentary and the girl I had a crush on, she came in with her group of friends and she's just like, Ooh, you read? And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? And she's like, reading is only for science projects. And I'm just like, I just felt so, um, one, I felt embarrassed, but the one other thing that kind of got to me too, was just that, why does it have to, why does this, uh, reading have to be like a white thing? Right. Or that, uh, just like Ayana mentioned that, uh, smartness or being intellectual is like seen as this white thing. And if you, if you happen to be black, that's frowned upon, right? Like we, uh, it's almost, it's, it's this, uh, weird dichotomy of ignorance is better as being black, but the, uh, the catch 22 I feel is that if you act black quotation, uh, (laughs) the hand, the hand gestures here, um, if you act black, right. And you are black, you get all these different stereotypes that reinforce, uh, black culture. But if you, uh, talk white and you are black, then, you know, you, you still get shamed. Right. And like, I feel like there's no good in between, like, we're just kind of boxed to be like really ghetto or you're just a super liberal, uh, uncle Tom or something like that. Like it's just damned if you do damned if you don't. And I just kind of feel really frustrated. I'm sure Ayana feels the same way and that we're like stuck in this box and that there's no room for us to, uh, to kind of grow outside of that. I think one of the things that I've even heard, even in my adult life, is that you're the whitest black guy I know. And I'm just like, it baffles me because I'm just like, I thought we would move beyond this. I thought that uh, me being an adult in my mid-20s, by this point in my life, I shouldn't still be hearing you're the whitest black guy I know. That should just be like... That shouldn't even be a thing. So, whew, I, I mean, it's just a really frustrating experience. And I'm just kind of like ranting at this point. But Ayana, I see that you took some notes and you want to share something? Yeah, just to piggyback off of what you were saying. Um, I basically wrote, you know, about there was a time in high school where I was hiding my true self, hiding my true interests out of fear that... Um, I would be, uh, what is it, targeted or humiliated. I was hanging out with this quote-unquote rough crowd. And it's like I was hiding, I felt like I was hiding the fact, literally, that I was an avid reader, that I wanted to be at the library. And it was interesting because while we were together and I was putting on this facade of wanting to fight and do all these other things to define my blackness and other nonsense like that um sometimes you would catch me you know looking at like a poster that said you know come audition here or book fair and I would secretly glance over at it and realize like wait a second I don't want to be involved in what I'm conforming to right now Mm. I just don't want to be the oddball at this point and there was a time where I was caught reading and things like that and I was like shunned it was like you're reading like really similar to what you were saying and it was like 
yeah, I am reading. <laughs> and I became comfortable with myself enough to advocate for myself and sit in my own truths and defend myself. And it was like, that's when I realized around the age of 17 that I had outgrown these people and that they were basically juvenile. And I just was more intellectual and definitely more mature. And I realized that I shouldn't be around anyone where I have to conceal my true self. So in this day and age, it's like, I refuse to hide myself. I feel like black people and people in general can definitely be versatile. I'm very diverse with like my background. And then my grandmother always used to say there's a time and place for everything. Like, you know, I'm sure <laughs> I'm literally like really into the dance hall life, but <laughs> yes, I'm not about to go, <laughs> you know, whine myself, you know, in an interview, I'm not about to bring the Labor Day Parkway energy to the interview, you know? I'm going to have on my suit and stuff like that. But I really feel like I'm like a chameleon. It's like I can just be one way as necessary. I, I have a lot of different things with me that's going on. I have a lot of different interests. I like Afrobeats. I like dancehall. And then I like um, alternative rock. So I'm like listening to Empire of the Sun and stuff. <laughs> it depends on like my mood. It's like, it definitely depends on my mood. I'm really accepting of different cultures. I'm interested in studying abroad. So basically, long story short, it's like, I'm not set in one area. I don't feel like I'm forced to be interested in only one thing. I'm definitely like a butterfly. I'm, I'm accepting of a lot of different cultures. I eat in a lot of different restaurants and I definitely don't believe that blackness is defined by um, negative stereotypes. One thing that I really enjoy too is that uh, I just wrote this down. I put that it's okay to have different interests, right? And that uh, back into like getting into the box or uh, you know being labeled, we can have different interests, and that's that should be fine, right? Like we shouldn't. Uh, black people can listen to rock music. It's okay that. A black person wants to travel internationally and like not have to be stuck here in the United States. It's okay to explore different uh, cultures and different interests. It, you know, it doesn't just have to be like, well, all black people dance or all black people can rap or all black people, you know, stereotype incoming right now, eat fried chicken and eat watermelon or always have J's, right? There could be a different variety and, uh, I think one of the things that really gets to me too is just that the way, a uh, little, little segue here is that the way we're portrayed in media, right? Where like, you see the, the music videos and oh uh, guys sagging their pants and degrading women. And this is kind of what everyone sees in the media, unfortunately. And uh, we all kind of get painted in this broad stroke of well, I guess all black people are this way, right? And I'm not sure if I want to associate with those people. And I mean, there's there's just so much unpacking that needs to be done in the way that we get portrayed. And I think it's honestly unfair how, uh, you know, this whole police brutality and us, you know, just getting shot left and right, but yet we're still portrayed as savages or monsters in media. And it's like... I don't know. I just feel I see that you uh, you want to say something about this, but I just think it's unfair that we have all these strikes against us. What's your thoughts? Um, 
That's an interesting point. I definitely feel like I definitely spoke about this back in when I was in global American history class in college. Um, it was about the <coughs> picture painted by media of black people where when we're victims of police brutality, instead of, you know, validating the fact that we're victims, it's like victim blaming. There was one time where I saw that there were two young black girls found deceased. And literally, when you put on the television program on the news, they had mug shots up. And it's like they were justifying the fact that the girls were trafficked and murdered. They literally had the audacity to pull up a rap sheet. I don't understand what would be the point in you pulling up a rap sheet of women that were found murdered after being human trafficked unless you're trying to discredit the victim. So I definitely touched on this because it's like you're less to sympathize with the victim if you if you feel like it's it's justifiable as to why they were found dead. So definitely it's it's a lot of victim blaming in the media um, to basically have people side with the fact that we were victimized, which I don't agree with at all. You know, maybe if if there were more of these news channels owned by blacks, which is clearly not, this wouldn't be happening. It's like you, you side with the, the perpetrators, you know? That's like you subconsciously, unconsciously side with the perpetrators if the first thing you do is focus on the fact that there's a rap sheet on the screen as to why they were found deceased. It's like we don't have time to just be human and have people empathize. It's like painting you in a bad light even in death. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's that's deep. I wanna uh we're gonna <laughs> we're still on topic, but I wanna change it up a little bit and ask uh I th- I think I asked you this a little bit earlier too before this uh podcast was uh recording, but do you feel like your life would be different if you were born a different race? Hmm. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade um, my blackness for anything. But I remember growing up. Unfortunately, I would. Honestly speaking, not sugarcoating it. I would. I would look at. I guess the average white family that I would encounter. And I would notice like the unconditional positive regard and positive reinforcement and the, you know, sitting at the dinner table, how was your day, the validating their, their children's feelings. And compared to my life where I was used to seeing stuff like, you know, you're weak for crying, you're weak for um, seeking counseling, there's no mm. such thing as mental illness, that's all in your head. So I definitely started to think in my mind like, you know, maybe if I was in these white families, I would be more supported. Like I would have my feelings validated and it would be harmonious. And even though I was a kid, they wouldn't say that me expressing my opinion is back talking and then beat me up. And it's interesting because just the other day, um, someone in my family who's an elder was telling me how I should just, you know, I was allegedly disrespectful. But I think the problem here is that she's used to me being a juvenile she doesn't understand that I'm a woman at this point so it was like she was claiming how I was disrespectful and and that goes back to like not being able to voice your opinions because every voicing your opinion is seen as disrespect 
So then it's like I developed a fear of even advocating for myself because it was like I would be met with a lash or get beat for saying anything. I couldn't stand up for myself at all. And it's not that I was being disrespectful. It's like now it's it's hard for her to understand my independence and understand that I'm an adult because she's still seeing me. It's kind of like, you know, when it's like you get respect if you give respect. That's how I feel about the age ranges and things like that so to answer your question sometimes I would fantasize as a child about being in a white family because I would see the way most of them interacted and I felt like they were accepting of their children and their views and supporting them a lot of people think if you have food in the fridge and a house over your head that that's enough but I think it's you need social socio-emotional support as well which is what I was longing for so yes I did I wouldn't trade my blackness, but I would fantasize as a child frequently about a way out, a way out of being beat up constantly and things like that, unfortunately. No, I, it's almost scary how relatable that is for me because I too, actually, I wouldn't trade my blackness for anything, but also in that same vein, I constantly fantasized about like, what would it be like being in a, in a white family, right? And like... You know, I constantly saw that validation, too, of, like, how how was your day and just, like, soft-talking, right? And, like, I, I didn't really feel like I was a bad kid. I was just a regular kid that just wouldn't love, right? And uh, I think the response of, like, getting beat and, you know, verbal abuse, I didn't deserve any of that crap. And I just kind of always wondered, like, what's it like on the other side, right? And just, like... But I real I also realized, and this took a lot of self-reflection, but I realized it was more of those... It's not that I want to actually change my skin tone, but rather I, I just want those characteristic traits that mm. yeah. the, the white families were exhibiting, right? That loving, the support, um, the caring nature, right? Those are the things that I actually wanted, but I don't really care to be white or any of that. Um, I actually love being black. So um, I think it really takes a lot of time uh, for a lot of black people to kind of come to a, a true acceptance of who they are and seeing like these different contrasts of like being in the hood and um, just like overall getting into drugs, sagging your pants, but then also kind of getting into like more professional uh getting into more professional environments uh interacting with high higher ups and you know big people in different industries and you know just making big waves and ayana i think you can agree with me that like it's really different living here in nature nature projects but then in seeing the environment we live in in which there's cracked windows and there's not a lot of people that are thriving and surviving and actually doing like <clears throat> not actually do, uh living their best life right um but then in our particular life we're like constantly talking to various people different professionals and um really making huge strides so what would you say um how do you how do you balance that in your day-to-day -day life of living in the projects but then 
having professionals and like really feeling like you have businesses and creating huge impact for people. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I am a nitropreneur, which is, you know, <laughs> it's a term that basically means you're living in nitro, but you're an entrepreneur. So I'm literally one of the people that is grateful for the next generation nitro and all the changes they're implementing to bring services here. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunities that were presented to me that, you know, they help with funding and entrepreneurial pursuits for entrepreneurs. Um, I'm definitely one of those people that I'm also a NYCHA CUNY two-year recipient of the NYCHA CUNY Scholar Award. Um, it was basically given based on our community, community service work, um, advocacy, and ability to challenge these preconceived notions associated with being NYCHA residents. Like, you know, I'm definitely big on I even took several photos in front of the NYCHA signs with my cap and gown proudly <laughs> because it's like, you know, that's awesome. it's not a one size fits all for black people or people that live in NYCHA or any of these populations. So I'm really big on showing my face to all the people that believe in these generalizations. Like I'm not, NYCHA is not something that I hide. I'm definitely an advocate for public housing. Whenever I apply for a scholarship, whenever I go somewhere, it's like they see me, they see all my good qualities, and then I add in that, yes, I am a NYCHA resident. And then I start to hear them saying like, wow, you're a NYCHA resident? Really? And then they start to confide in me and say that they feel bad because they literally would have never thought that someone of my caliber came from NYCHA. And it's like, wow. So does this change your perception of me? No, it helps to change their perception of NYCHA and help them identify that they were generalizing the whole population. So I am definitely use my face and my story to bring awareness to NYCHA and help break that stereotype and preconceived misconception that NYCHA means something to be ashamed of or that you're nothing. It's like when they see me, they realize not to toot my own horn, that, you know, you can be an entrepreneur, I have a college degree, I have aspirations, you know, so that's me. Okay, nice, I like that. Uh, I want to get into another, uh, very related, but I want to get into this other topic uh, that we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, just about, like, the divide between colored people, right, and obviously... <laughs> Uh, we're both light skinned, right? But um, you did mention something earlier about the, how you felt like there was a divide between um, how your light skin co uh, color uh, gives you privileges sometimes, right? And like what that looks like. But also, what are some, what have been some of your interactions between just being a light skinned uh, black woman and dark-skinned woman well growing up um yeah i think what you're referring to was growing up on my mom's side primarily um my maternal grandmother being from north carolina is um a dark-skinned woman and she basically married um my grandfather who is 
half white, half black, and also part Cherokee. So um, I noticed it's kind of like she was like living vicariously through me. I'm not saying this is everyone's experience, but it was alarming to me because it's like, similar to what I was stating earlier, it's like, she was, she was kind of fixated on the fact that I was high yellow, as she referred to, which is like yellow, you know, fair skinned. And everything that I succeeded in, she, she summed it up to the fact that I was mixed or light skinned. But I never felt any sense of superiority. I always felt like my whole family unit, whether dark or light, we were all together. It wasn't until I got into grade school was when people started to point out the fact that I was light skinned and trying to project these ideas onto me that I allegedly felt like I was superior. But like I said, you know, I thought that every black family had what I had, different shades. I never felt any sense of superiority until people pointed it out to me. Like I have light brown eyes, kind of, it could easily be mistaken for hazel. So it was like, there was this one day that a girl was just like, you know, your eyes are so captivating and so beautiful. And to me, I was like, really? They're really, really beautiful? And people kept coming up to me in this new school telling me how beautiful my eyes were. And it was like, when something is yours, you don't really, you're not really fixated on it, but when you're presented in front of others, that's when it's pointed out. So growing up, it was tough for me because it was like, I had a lot of bullying instances where I was just harassed for being light-skinned. Like, and I wasn't really one of those people that fought. So it's like I was pushed into lockers. It, it just, it's just terrible even remembering it. It was like I was just harassed and it was literally because I had light skin as the people told me. It was it was really traumatizing and it made me feel like I wanted to just separate myself from the, from the entire black race because it was like, I, I didn't know where to fit in. It's like, it's like I was being shunned from my black peers and they were saying like, you're not down, you don't know about that. And it just was mm. like, I felt like I had to prove to them, as I said earlier, prove to them that I could be down and hang and that I was really, really black. So the more I tried to prove it, the more I adopted these undesirable habits, like trying to get involved in crime. It was really tough. It was like being beaten up, being harassed, being stalked, um, all because I was light skinned and I allegedly felt I was superior. All I wanted was unity. I wanted, like I said, black come in different shades and I just, I personally felt that my dark-skinned sisters were very beautiful. And ironically, I was like, I wish I looked like that. I wish I looked like that because I don't even, I feel like what they're saying is true. My black is diluted. And I just felt like I want to be truest. I want to be pure in, in the blackest form possible. And I didn't feel superior at all. So that's like a definite misconception but today I realized that I should just embrace everything that I have within me and embrace my light skin but not feel that I'm superior in any way shape or form um, I was also told that um, my grandmother had to have been raped by a slave master and that's how I was born I also it, they went as far in grade school and junior high especially as to making me lift up my shirt and examining my areolas saying that if they were pink that I was not black. So it's like they were lifting up my shirt multiple times saying, if your nipples are dark brown, um, that means you're black. 
So it was like this constant harassment and constant trying to prove that I was black, I was black, I was black. And it made it worse because not only do I have like a fairer skin tone, my grandfather is literally um, mostly Chinese. So it's like I have the Chinese last name. So that gave them more grounds to challenge my blackness. So it was really tough growing up. I struggled with um, problems with racial identity, I guess. Like, where do I belong? But today, I embrace myself and I, you know, advocate for myself. And I'm completely different than the Ayana I was back then. Before I let people dictate to me what blackness was. But now I realize I am blackness. All of the success that I have is associated with blackness. I know I don't talk white, I talk black. Let's change it. <laughs> you know, let's put success and associated with blackness. I have a bunch of businesses. I'm a serial <laughs> entrepreneur, that's blackness. I have straight A's, 4.0 GPA, that's blackness. I have a college degree, that's blackness. Everything that I do that's positive is attributed to blackness. Whatever you all said, I like that. <laughs> that just like, so wholesome like my heart was just warming up just now um that's good stuff i think for me i just want to like mirror back some of the stuff um that you were mentioning earlier about like yeah i think i remember when i was like 12 years old maybe even 11 where my mom was like i had some friends around my local neighborhood in marcy projects and um i guess they were like looking for me and my my mom was just like Oh, some of your uh, your dark skinned friends were like looking for you, and I was like, "Why oh did you gosh. have to add that part?" Like, and she was like so antagonizing. It was like, "Yeah, they're crispy or they're burnt," and I was just like, That's "Honestly, it was probably the most disgusting thing I've ever heard." Um, one because it was coming from my mom, but then also because what makes you think that like just because we're both light-skinned that like you suddenly have like this superiority over another like someone of the same exact ethnicity so it, it just like drove me crazy and i just i didn't have anyone to like really talk to about that it was just like so confusing and i didn't understand why we were different um and it was just like, I remember that being like one of the earliest examples of um, just color, right? And just like having to uh, acknowledge that. Um, even in school, like guys would roast each other and be like, oh, you crispy like the sun or you stay too too long in the sun and you got burnt. And it was just like, I mean, I'm laughing now, but it's more like a nervous laughter because it's just so uncomfortable that like, we put each other down when we all bleed the same. We all, you know, like we're, we're just the same people. Um, you wanted to. Yes. Um... Oh, yes. Basically, it's <laughs> I was just talking about this letter that was circulating. Some people say that um, it's not real. It's a hoax. It's called the Willie Lynch letter. So I definitely wrote an essay on that. And in the letter, it was basically saying, um, it was it was about a slave owner, Caucasian slave owner, colonizer, giving tips from where he was and the successes he had with his controlling his slaves, the methods. It was like basically a how-to, use his method to have a successful slave plantation. So in the letter, 
they had um, to make sure that your slaves were not trusting of each other and only relied on you as the slave master. So they definitely said, keep them divided as possible by any means necessary. So he said some common techniques to keep them divided would be by skin tone, have the fair-skinned slaves arguing with the darker slaves. It had something about, I wish I could pull it up. It had arguing, basically keeping them divided based on age, older slaves, younger slaves. Then they had um, arguing based on what slave plantation you hail from. I guess that could be today, your towns, like, oh, New York versus here, or Brook the boroughs, the five boroughs, Brooklyn versus Bronx. Keep them constantly bickering. Keep them um, mistrusting of each other so they can never congregate together and fight the true enemy, which is you as the slave master. Um, so it's like hearing you say these things, it's like, wow, this, this method that was all these years ago, you know, really Lynch in the letter, he stated that I guarantee you that for years to come, for several generations, that my techniques will still be relevant and will still help you find success in controlling your slaves. Once you have the mind of a slave, you have everything. So it's just eerie hearing you describe these things, knowing that although this letter is allegedly a hoax, it's it's the truth. So I just wanted to add that. Wow, that's that's really deep. Um, wow, that's pretty heavy. Now <laughs> thinking about it, um, do you feel like there's privilege in being light skinned? <sighs> I believe I'm not gonna just deny and just wake up and not validate my fellow blacks. Um, experiences because I'm not someone who's just in denial I do believe that unfortunately when it comes to going in certain places it's like our presence as having fairer skin is seen as less threatening so it's like if they have to accept someone who's black they rather someone close to whiteness I believe not saying that I'm white but it's like since they feel that darker skin is a threat they rather accept only part of the blackness so it's like they feel like oh if we have to hire someone let them be um diluted black basically so I definitely think there is a preference for lighter skin when it comes to white people okay okay whoo this is uh this was a big one uh honestly i feel like there's a lot more but uh i kind of want to make this a part two of some sort what about you yes okay definitely i feel like there's a lot of things that are still that we need to unpack but also my my phone's battery is almost about to die. And uh, I definitely want to like address a few other things too. Uh, if you guys have uh, some comments or feel strongly about anything that was put in this podcast, please email me at anthonyt425 at gmail.com. Uh, I'll try to get back to you in 24 hours, no later than that. And, uh, yeah, definitely. If there's, uh, do you have any, like, social media or ways that people can get in contact with you? Um, I have 
my Instagram, which is college gal Yana. That's the guy needs in me. Okay, so it's college C O L L E G E G Y A L Y A N A for my Instagram. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to like come here and like really just chop it up with me. And I think this is like something that's still extremely relevant, especially in the political climate. Um, and I think this is just the conversations that people need to be hearing. So um, hopefully we did a good job of like unpacking a few of our experiences and kind of bringing some value to you guys. So uh, just hit me up with any comments, concerns that you might have. Uh, please continue to support and I hope to see you guys in the next podcast. Thank you.